The number is 1-855-821-5900 to get a hold of Lior anytime, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. We will get to the severance pay calculator, an amazing tool, about five years young. We'll get to that very shortly. We always start, pal, with the week that was. What's been going on in your world? Hey, John, thanks very much. And, uh, you know, what's been going on in my world is I've been talking with people every day, helping them understand their employment rights, helping them enforce their legal rights in the workplace, and hopefully solving some problems and making some lives easier. And that's what I do, and that's what we also try to do on this show. Uh, we try to educate and inform and hopefully teach you something that you can learn to understand your situation in the workplace, to try to uh, inform you about your rights. And so stay tuned. You know, We do this every week now. And, and every time you can hear us now on the weekend and you can hear us Mondays and Wednesdays, we do the same thing over and over again. We want to educate. So hopefully over the next hour or so, uh, we're going to be able to do just that for our, our many listeners. And to start us off uh, about the employment law and workplace rights, I'll tell you about a couple of situations that I saw over the past uh, few days. First situation, John, I'll mention, uh, involved a lady who had worked at a private school as a teacher. Now, she had worked there for five years, and the way it worked is that she would teach from September to the end of June every single year. And then right in July, she would sign a new contract for the following year. So she was an employee, but every year she would sign a one-year, essentially, contract to start from September for the school year. So she did every year for five years. Well, uh, this past uh, summer, what happened was her employer told her, well, this year we're not going to bring you back. So we're not going to be offering you a contract for uh, the following uh, September 2017. So you're not coming back. And she called me, and she wanted to know, is this right? I, I was obviously expecting to go back and teach again. Uh, but I understand my contract expired. Is this all kosher? Is this right? So here's how this works, John. And we may have talked about this in the past on the show. Whenever you're signing fixed-term agreements that keep getting renewed, so so they roll over, they get, get renewed over and over again, at some point, that stops being a fixed-term relationship. At some point, you're going to have an expectation that this contract is going to continue getting renewed. So what happens in that situation is you're no longer on a fixed-term contract. You become an indefinite employee. Now, with her, because for five years, every year she continued working, she'd signed a piece of paper, but it was almost a formality, she's now an indefinite employee. So when her uh, employer, the private school, says to her, you're not coming back now in September, that's a termination. Even though, strictly speaking, the agreement had expired, She's now been terminated, and she's owed severance. After five years, she's easily going to be owed six months or more by way of severance. There's a very, very important lesson here because this is not an uncommon situation. If you're signing fixed-term agreements and they keep getting renewed, you're going to become a fixed-term or, uh, sorry, an indefinite mm -hmm. employee. Usually after about three or so agreements, once they've been signed and, and, and roll over, then the law is going to consider you a regular indefinite employee and that's very important when it comes to severance because if the company now says, well, this time we're not going to renew the contract. This time we're going to just end the relationship. Well, wait a second. You can then get your full severance like any other employee. So don't just assume that because the contract that you signed expired, you don't have any entitlements. In many cases, you actually have significant entitlements. So many uh, employers would not know that and just keep, and employees, for that matter, just keep signing contract after contract after contract, right? For years sometimes. 
Yeah, for years. And, and again, I always like to say it's substance over form. Yep. If, if you're really treated as an indefinite employee, you just sign a paper once a year, well, come on. The law is smarter than that. You're going to be considered an indefinite employee. Uh, and if you have an expectation that you're going to come back because of what the history has shown you, and then all of a sudden the company says you're not coming back, you've been terminated, you're owed severance. What else you got going on, pal? So second situation, actually, it's a call that we recently got uh, on the show. I believe it was on a, on a recent uh, Monday uh, Nitro that we do. We had a gentleman call, uh, and he had uh, been let go for cause because he, he had missed work. Uh, he, he'd been in a car accident, uh, and the company said, well, we, we told you that you can't miss work, so uh, we're letting you go for cause, and he didn't get any severance. Now, he called us on the show, and I told him, no, they can't do that. And in fact, I think you owed you know anywhere from four or five months' pay. He had been there for two years, so give me a call. He did. Mm-hmm. He did give me a call in the office, except what he told me when he gave me a call that he had filed a complaint with the Ministry of Labor. Ah. Uh, he had done that several weeks prior. So here's why this is bad, and here's where I had to give him very bad news. Once he filed that complaint with the Ministry of Labor. I can't help him. What I mean by that is he's stuck in that process. He can't pursue his full entitlements. And the most the Ministry of Labor can get him is two weeks pay, which is his minimum entitlements as opposed to his full entitlements. So as a practical matter, they're going to recover two weeks pay for him, which is about $2,000. His full entitlements would have been closer to $20,000. And I had to tell him, I can't help you. He did what many people would do in that situation, they'd contact the Ministry of Labor. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. And then file a complaint to get the money that they're owed, not knowing that that's the worst thing that you can do if you lost your job. You can go to the Ministry of Labor. If you're owed overtime pay or vacation pay, you cannot absolutely go to the Ministry of Labor if you lost your job in order to recover your entitlements. They can only help you get your minimum entitlements, which is a small fraction of your full entitlements. So in this case, it, it's going to cost them over eighteen thousand uh, dollars, and that's unfortunate. And you know, I, I, my hands are tied, so I don't want any of our listeners to do that. You lost your job, you call an employment lawyer. You don't like me? Fine, call another employment lawyer. But you cannot go to the Ministry of Labor. You have to call an employment lawyer. And the number for that, exactly one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred Lior L I O R at employmenthour.com. Lots more on the show. We'll get to the biggest mistakes that employers make because they just don't know any better. Had a couple there. We'll get to another one. Lots more after a short break. It's the Employment Hour Talk Radio, AM six forty. The number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred anytime Lior at employmenthour.com. Give us some details, uh, severance pay calculator. We love this tool. Been around for what, about almost half a decade now, I guess, right? Yeah, my gosh. Uh, it, it's going on five years. It's yeah. going to be five years at some point in the early part, I think, of 2018. Uh, so, John, I mean, the severance pay calculator is a tool that I created uh, for the purpose of, again, calculating severance, so to help people do what I do, to help people do what I usually just do in my head, which is the to assess how much severance is owed. So you go to severancepaycalculator.com, and you answer three quick questions, your age, your position, and the length of your employment, and that's it. The severance calculator gets to work and tells you right there how many months severance you are owed. It's completely free, by the way. A lot of people think, well, wait a second, is there a charge? Is there anything uh, hidden there? No, there isn't. It's completely free. It's completely anonymous. Uh, You don't have to put in your name or phone number or email address, none of that. And uh, it's such an important tool to use because so many people accept severance without 
uh, understanding what they're actually owed. Yeah. They accept pennies on the dollar. But if you have that severance calculator in your pocket, that's never going to happen to you. You will know how much you're owed. You will know exactly if your severance offer is inadequate. Uh, and uh, that's why that's why I created it. So again, remember, severancepaycalculator.com. We'll get into this. The biggest mistakes that employers make because they just don't know any better. First one on the list is not understanding the difference between common law and ESA, right? Yeah, and John, yeah, I, I've gotten some criticism over the years doing this show that I'm hard on employers. Now, I, I don't know if that's fair or not. Really, I just try to kind of call it like it is. And if I find employers doing things wrong, I'll say so. Uh, so I, I just really try to be honest. But oftentimes, employers, when they do things wrong, it's not because they're bad. It's not because they're trying to get away with something. It's because they themselves are, are under misconceptions. They themselves may not appreciate their legal obligations, uh, their uh, uh, the, the legal requirements that apply to them. So I want to talk about that now. I want to talk about some mistakes that employers make because they just don't know any better. And hopefully we can educate both employers and employees. The first one, probably the most common mistake that I see, employers often, usually, I I can even say, don't understand the difference between the Employment Standards Act, that person's minimum entitlements, and what we call their common law entitlements. So I was talking before in the week that was about minimum versus full entitlements. Well, the Employment Standards Act only outlines a person's minimum entitlements. Okay, that's what it does. So you may go online and read, oh, wait, the Employment Standards Act says, John, if I let you go, I have to give you four weeks pay. Great. It says so right there. I'll give you four weeks pay. What you don't understand, because it doesn't say so clearly on the website, is that those are only minimums. So you you do have obligations to pay beyond the minimums based on our common law. Common law is the, the set of laws that our courts have decided over the years that apply to employees and employer. So someone's entitlements under the Employment Standards Act may be four weeks pay, but under common law, it could be eight months pay, it could be 12 months pay, it could be more. So that's why it's so important to understand that the Employment Standards Act only provides minimums. To, to find out uh, what the common law entitlements are, you'd have to call an employment lawyer, or you can go to the severance calculator to find out exactly what those are. But that distinction is important. A lot of times employers don't understand that there's something beyond the Employment Standards Act. They offer inadequate severance packages thinking they only have to comply with the Employment Standards Act. And then all of a sudden they have a a wrongful dismissal claim on their hands and they're saying, what the heck just happened here? Uh, I thought I was doing things right. So you have to understand that difference, minimums versus full entitlements, any issues, any questions, any misunderstandings, you give me a call. one 821 5900 is the number. Next one on the list of the things, the biggest mistakes employers make because they just don't know any better, not being mean. It's uh, temporary layoffs. Everyone does that one. Yeah, and it also, by the way, goes back to the Employment Standards Act. Uh, the Employment Standards Act says that you can lay someone off temporarily for up to 13 weeks or 35 weeks, depending on whether you're, you're continuing benefit coverage. So employers may think, ah, okay, well, mm-hmm. so I can lay you off temporarily and maybe I'll call you back in uh, several months. Well, not so fast, because under our common law, a temporary layoff is a termination. So the reality is, yes, if you've laid off someone temporarily, you actually have terminated them. Or at the very least, you've given the employee the option to treat the layoff as a termination and make you pay them their severance. So an employer may not realize that that's what they're doing. They're just intending to lay someone off temporarily. But by doing that, they've in fact terminated employment. 
So you have to understand that. You really don't have a right to lay someone off temporarily unless you've, you've had the employee sign an employment agreement that specifically gives you that power. And for employees, if you've been laid off temporarily, certainly if it's the first time that that's happened to you, then you, you have a choice. You can accept that layoff and wait and hopefully come back to work if they call you back, or you can treat your employment as being terminated right away, leave and get your full severance. So legally, they can do it under the Employment Standards Act, but there's repercussions if they choose to do it is basically what you're saying. could be costly. Well, yeah. yeah. The best way to put it is what the Employment Standards Act ultimately does is it gives the, the employer the right to contract right. for the ability to lay someone off temporarily. But the, if the employer has not done that, then the layoff is a termination, which means it's illegal, the, which means the employee is owed severance. And a lot of employers don't understand that. And again, they may find themselves with a wrongful dismissal claim on their hands when they just thought that they were doing the right thing. one 821 5900 is that number anytime. Write it down. Keep it with you. Lior, L-I-O-R, and employmenthour.com as well. Lots more of the show coming up. We'll get back to our biggest mistakes that employers make because they don't know any better and a pile of your emails as well throughout the rest of the hour. It's the Employment Hour right here. Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. 1-855-821-5900, Lior's number, Lior at employmenthour.com. Our discussion continues talking about the uh, the biggest mistakes that employers make because they just don't know any better. We have a temporary layoffs, that's a big one, as well not providing notice in writing. I stress in writing. Yes, uh, you know, oftentimes an employer may say, just so you know, uh, John, uh, we're going to let you go at the end of the month. And, you know, th- there's an important reason why you want to give notice, because if you give someone advance notice of their termination, that actually counts towards your severance entitlements. So if I were to give you notice, John, that a month from now I'm letting you go, well, that month counts, which means if I do owe you severance, it would still be less a month because I gave you notice. But that notice that I gave you is not effective, okay? It doesn't have the effect of, of being proper notice if I didn't do it in writing, if I just told you verbally. So uh, my rule always is, and I've said this before on the show, that if it's not in writing, it does not exist. The same thing applies when it comes to notice. If you give someone notice verbally, number one, it's not effective. The law is clear on that. But also, it could be misunderstood or, or, or there could be a disagreement. Did you give him a month's notice? Did you not give him notice at all? It le- lends itself to potential arguments down the road. So if you give someone notice of termination, that has to be in writing. And, and there's no magic to it. It doesn't have to be a formal letter. Email is fine. As long as it's somewhere that it's written uh, digitally or otherwise, it has to be in writing. Otherwise, it's not effective. And the flip side goes for all employees. Everything they do should be in writing as well, right? Yes. Uh, you know, the, the rule here always is if you wish something was in writing, put it in writing. Right. Okay? If your employer does something and says something, and you're like, oh, gosh, I wish I had this in writing. This would be so good if it was in writing. Yeah. Well, why don't you put it in writing? Send them an email confirming what was said, what was done, or have a journal somewhere where you put it in writing. Again, writing counts. Uh, writing always wins the day. Uh, and if it's verbal, it's always very going to be very difficult to deal with. one 855 is Lior's number, talking about the biggest mistakes that employers make because they just don't know any better. Entering into an unforceable job offers. Unforceable. <laughs> Unenforceable, unenforceable. Yep. yes, unenforceable job offers. Such and, as? Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> well, the thing is about employment agreement job offers, John, is the fact that you may have signed a signed document doesn't mean that it's enforceable. doesn't mean that it's actually something that you can hold someone to. So there's a number of reasons why an employment agreement may be unenforceable. One reason may be that the employee signed it after they've already started working. 
So we've talked about that before. If, an, if you get an employee to sign an agreement after they started working, even if it's the next day after they started working, arguably that agreement is unenforceable. Another reason uh, may be if the the empl- uh, agreement or sorry the employment has changed since. So an employee may have been hired to a certain position, and over time they've been promoted. They're in a very different position. That agreement that you've signed back when they started may not be enforceable because the position's changed. Or the agreement may not comply with the Employment Standards Act. It may provide for lesser entitlements than the Employment Standards Act, which means it's not enforceable. So a lot of times employers lose the ability to rely on an employment agreement because they've made a certain mistake. So you always, always have to get an employee to sign an agreement before they start working. If they've already started working and you want them to sign, you have to give them something in return. You have to make sure your agreements are up to date when the position changes. You want to make sure that you're complying with the Employment Standards Act because if down the road you want to rely on the agreement, you want to say, okay, this agreement gives me the power to do X, so I'm going to do X. But if that agreement is not enforceable, guess what? You can't do it. Now, the flip side of this, for employees, oftentimes employees uh, may be let go and they look at their employment agreement saying, ah, I didn't realize, but I signed an employment agreement that limits my entitlements. So now I guess I don't get my full severance. Well, wait a second, not so fast. In many cases, and I stress the word many, in many cases, those agreements may not be enforceable. So don't ever assume that just because you signed an employment agreement, you're necessarily going to be bound by it, or at least bound by a termination provision. Right. You always, always, always have to give uh, to get legal advice, and that's true both for employers and employees. Lots more of that discussion coming up here. We'll bounce over to a quick email. Got that at uh, Lior at employmenthour.com. And uh, Barry writes in and says, can my employer put me on a performance improvement plan and then say that I didn't do a good enough job and let me go for cause? Well, here's the thing. For the employer to put you on a performance improvement plan, obviously it would have to be legitimate. There would have to be something that you did uh, or didn't do that would warrant the performance improvement plan. And now, if they did put you on it, and if it wasn't legitimate, hopefully you said something about it. If it was legitimate, they have to give you a fair shot, a fair opportunity to improve, to, to do what you're supposed to do or to stop doing what you're not supposed to be doing. They can't just put you on a performance improvement plan and the next day say, well, you know, we, we put you on one and you didn't improve, yeah. so we're letting you go. Because that's not a fair shot. No one's going to be able to improve from Monday to Tuesday. So they have to give you a fair shot. They have to give you a fair assessment. And here's the key. Even if you haven't necessarily met all the requirements and and, and the performance improvement plan, does not mean that the company can let you go for cause. Being let go for cause is reserved for the worst offenders. So maybe you've made some mistakes and maybe your performance is not exactly where it needs to be. But that does not mean you could be let go for cause. Uh, in many cases, the employer pulls the trigger before it should. So what I'm going to say uh, to our listeners, give me a call. Let me find out exactly what they say you did, how much time they gave you to improve, were there any other warnings. Because I would bet anything, just because I've seen it hundreds and hundreds of, time, uh, hundreds of times, that this would not be cause, that this would be premature which would make this a wrongful dismissal. More details. A phone call is that all it takes. That's how far away you are. one 821 5900 or Lior at employmenthour.com. Again, if you want to know what your, uh, your severance should be, if you've ever wondered or if you just got let go, you got an agreement in front of you, severancepaycalculator.com. We'll continue. Lots more of the show coming up here. It is the Employment Hour, Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML.
1-855-821-5900. Lior at employmenthour.com is the email. We're talking about the biggest mistakes that employers make because they just don't know any better. This one's a good one too. Believing that probationary periods, well, they're assumed when you get hired, right? Yes. And so many employers believe that. By the way, so many employees believe yeah. that they assume that there's a probationary period, be it three months, four months, six months, that that's just kind of built in and we don't have to, to say so. It's just kind of known and assumed. Well, no, 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 not at all. There's no such thing as an automatic probationary period, not for a day, not for a month, not for any period of time. A probationary period has to be created in an employment agreement. So if you did not sign an employment agreement, maybe you started on a handshake, or if you signed an employment agreement, but your employment agreement does not specify a probationary period, then guess what? There's no probation. It doesn't exist. So when does a probation, uh, when can a probationary period exist? Well, if an employment agreement says so, that you're on probation for a certain number of, of months, then yes, you're on probation for those months because that's what the agreement says. That's what you agree to. One thing to, of course, understand is that in terms of the ability of the employer to let the employee go without any compensation, without any severance, that period of time can only be for three months. And it can only be for three months if the employer put that in the agreement. So it's not automatic. So don't ever assume that you're on probation automatically. If you're an employer, don't ever assume that the new employee you just hired today is on probation automatically. There's no such thing as automatic probation. It has to be created by an employment agreement. We are talking about the biggest mistakes employers make because they just don't know any better. We'll move on to another topic shortly and some more emails as well. But to wrap this one up, the last one is uh, not distinguishing between independent contractor and employee. This one is like every day we could talk about this, right? Yeah. You know, and, and if, if not understanding the difference between ESA and common law is number one, then this has got to be a close second, John. Uh, the This whole notion of, of not understanding that uh, who's really an employee, who's really an independent contractor. And it, it comes, this problem comes from a very logical place, actually. A lot of employers think, well, wait a second. If we agreed, John, that you're an independent contractor, and you know what? We even signed an agreement that says you're an independent contractor, then you're an independent contractor, right? Why, well, who can tell me otherwise? Well, absolutely not. Again, substance over form. Uh, doesn't matter what you said, doesn't matter what you signed, the law decides whether someone is an independent contractor or an employee. Because if it was as simple as calling someone uh, an independent contractor, everyone could be an independent sure. contractor. Why would anyone ever be hired as an employee? So an independent contractor is someone that's in business for himself or herself. An independent contractor has many clients. An independent contractor doesn't have fixed hours of work. An independent contractor doesn't work in the office. Uh, an independent contractor pays for their own expenses, etc., etc., etc. So the plumber that you call to your house, the electrician that you called, those guys are independent contractors. If they come to your house to fix a problem, they don't work for you. They work for themselves. You pay them for their services, and then they leave. They go to the ne their next customer. That's an independent contractor. But if you have someone that works for you regularly, fixed hours, they have worked for you for a while, maybe they work out of the office, I don't care what you call them. They are employees in the eyes of the law. So this is a problem that we've seen, and I've certainly seen hundreds if not thousands of times over the past 15 years. It's a huge, huge problem. And a lot of individuals, employers, employees, assume that if we agree that I'm an independent contractor, that's what it is. 
So, and that's extremely important if you lose your job, because if you believe that you're an independent contractor and the company lets you go, you'd think, well, I guess I don't get any severance because I'm an independent contractor. But if that's wrong, and in the eyes of the law, you really are an employee, then you get full severance. So the best advice I can give here is if you lost your job and and you're not sure if you were really an independent contractor or not, you're not an independent contractor. Let me tell you that right now, and you have to give me a call as soon as possible. 1-855-821-5900. The email is lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. We'll get to one from Ann. Writes in, says, the, uh, the doctor I work for has said that he will be retiring in six months. He's not said anything about severance. I've worked for him for almost 30 years. Do I get severance? Wow. Wow, 30 years. Just a little. Well, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just a little. So, yes, of course you get severance. 100% you get severance. Not even a question. Now, the interesting thing is if he's given you six months notice that that, that he's closing a shop, that six months counts towards your severance. What I mean by that is after 30 years, you probably got owed up right around 24 months of severance, 24 months pay. But that six months counts, which means you're probably now owed only about 18 months of severance. So yes, you are owed severance. You're owed a significant amount. The notice does count. And give me a call. There's no reason to wait the six months. Let's let's resolve this now. Let's make sure that you get the severance that you're owed. Uh, and this, I've, I've seen this so many times, by the way, with doctors' offices. It doesn't matter if it's doctors, dentists, chiropractors, where they're uh, you know retiring, they're closing shop, maybe they're selling their business, and they just assume that they don't have to pay severance. Usually, it's because they think, well, we're a small business, that this whole severance doesn't apply to us. Wrong. Guess what? It does apply to you, the same as anyone else. So you have to pay severance. And and again, if you're an employer and an empl- or an employee and are confused about this situation at all, you just give me a call. That number again, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. It's Lior at employmenthour.com. If you haven't checked it out, severancepaycalculator.com. Find out what your severance pay should be. Guaranteed the number that comes out the bottom end is a lot higher than the one sitting in front of you for, uh, for sure. Guaranteed that. The aging workforce, that's a discussion we'll have after we take a short break. It's the Employment Hour. Talk Radio, AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. one 821 5900 is the number to get a hold of Lior anytime. You want to leave a message, do so. You want to drop an email, that's simple as well. Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. And severancepaycalculator.com, that'll tell you exactly what your full entitlement should be, what you're owed under, uh, well, the calculator. It'll give you a full dollar amount at the bottom, and trust me, it is a... Uh, it's a balloon amount, but it's the proper amount, right, pal? It's not what the uh, Employment uh, Standards Act will tell you for sure. No, it's the right amount. Yeah. It's the full amount. It's the accurate amount. Check it out. Give me a call if you have any questions. The aging workforce, the idea that many workplaces have older employees. We'll touch on a few of these points in the uh, last couple of segments here. Is there a concept of what they call mandatory retirement? John, th- this is really an issue that comes up very often. Uh, you know, if, if you've read any of the papers, listened to any of the news, read any of the uh, uh, of the many studies, we have here uh, in Ontario an aging workforce. It's not uh, very controversial. A lot of people are getting up there in age in terms of their work ages. You know, they're in their fifties and sixties and maybe getting closer to retirement. And and these issues arise sometimes. They could be uh, issues that the individuals have in terms of what their rights are. Employers may have questions as to uh, what do we do with an employee that, that's not retiring or that's not necessarily able to do the job anymore. So we're going to try to touch on that. So the first question that you've just asked is mandatory retirement. Does that exist? Well, no, John. Mandatory retirement was eliminated, I think it was about 11 or so years ago now, 
back uh, in 2006, I think it was. Maybe it was 2005. And, and what happened was up until 2006 or so, uh, there was a mandatory retirement age of 65. And all that meant is the employer could require the employee to retire at the age of 65 hmm. and wouldn't have to pay them anything and it wouldn't be a human rights violation, etc. Well, guess what? That's no longer the case. Uh, mandatory retirement has been eliminated. So the employer can no longer require an employee to retire. It doesn't matter if it's 60, 65, 75. An employee has a right to continue working as long as possible. And if an employer does say to an employee, well, you're 65, so you're, you're out of here, not only would that be a wrongful dismissal potentially, but that also would be a human rights violation. It would be illegal to let someone go to, to, to treat them differently because right. of their age. So there's no such concept as mandatory retirement. An employee now has a right to continue working as long as he or she wants. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is the number. Next one about, and this is a kind of a sensitive topic when it comes to the aging population. So, on the on the side of an employer now, what do they do if they have an older employee that's you know been there a long time, say, but they're starting to get a little less productive, right? Yeah, and and that you know inevitably happens, uh, and you know an employee may have the best intentions, work as hard as possible, but you know the body may not be reacting the way it used to, and and the employee may not be as productive as effective, and the employer saying, well, what do I do? Well, this is a bit of a loaded question. We could do a whole show just on this issue. But generally speaking, what I can say is the employer has to manage performance. Uh, and if performance is, is falls below a certain level, well, then it needs, first of all, I can't assume, and the employer shouldn't assume that it's because of someone's age. Who knows what it is? The employer has to manage performance and, and advise an employee of, uh, of the inadequate performance and potentially take measures to rectify it. Now, where it's clear that there's either a health or age-related reason behind the lack of a performance, the employer has a duty to accommodate. Okay, the employer can't say, well, too bad, you're supposed to manufacture 100 uh, widgets every hour, now you can only manu manufacture 80, so that's not good enough, you're yeah. out of here. It doesn't work that way. An employer has to accommodate. That may mean uh, changing hours, changing the work responsibilities, giving the employee help, uh, etc. So whatever accommodation may be required, you can't let someone go because there's a health or age reason that impacts their ability to work unless, of course, that employee cannot under any circumstances be accommodated. So uh, that's, that's the message here. Uh, manage performance, and if it's related to age or health, you have to accommodate. Let me flip it around the other way. What does the employee do if he or she is starting to notice that they're struggling to do their job? Well, I think the first thing any employee should do is be honest with their employer uh, and, and tell them that. Tell them that, you know, I have some health issues or what have you that are, are, are bothering me and provide some corroboration from a doctor and come up with an idea, with a solution. So maybe it's a matter of, you know, maybe you can put me on this line instead of this line or this machine instead of that machine. Or maybe if I worked uh, day shift instead of afternoon shift, it'd be better. So, so provide some solutions, have that backed up by a doctor, and, and put the, the ball in the employer's hands to, to try to help you. It's not enough to say, I have a problem, and leave. You should explain what the problem is, uh, and, and if it's related to health, you don't have to say, well, you know, I have a herniated disc or whatever it is. Just say it's, it's related to health, and then make some suggestions. Tell them how they can help you. You have, as an employee, have to be an active participant in your own accommodation. So provide some information from a doctor, give them some thoughts as to how to accommodate, and if then they refuse to accommodate, 
you may have legal recourse at that point. We're talking about our discussion with the aging population. So can an older employee be uh, disciplined if he you know, can't keep up anymore like we discussed? Well, if they can't keep up because of an age or health-related issue, then the answer is no, not really, because they're not doing anything wrong. Now, again, don't assume that just because uh, we're talking about an older employee, the performance issues have anything to do with age. It's possible that they, they're still done, or they're partying too hard, or they're just not working hard, in which case you can and should discipline the employee. But if it's related to age or if there's a health factor, no, you shouldn't discipline, but you should raise it with the employee and find out, find a way to to fix the problem. Find a way to make it work. You don't have to just accept inadequate performance. As an employer, you do have a right to expect a certain level of performance from your employees, but that doesn't mean that just because the performance falls below that level, you can say you're out of here. Right. You still have to accommodate. You still have to find a solution and work with the employee. And in some situations, if it's clear that the performance is not going to improve to the level that's acceptable, and there's absolutely no way, shape, or form that that uh, the employee can be accommodated, at that point, we may be looking at how, how do we part ways. But that is usually the last step, and there's a process that has to be uh, addressed before that happens. one 821 5900 is the number to get hold of Lior. It is Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll try to get to maybe one more email as we uh, taper off the hour here and continue our discussion uh, discussion on the aging population. It's the Employment Hour right here, Talk Radio, AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. one 821 5900 is the number. Lior at employmenthour.com through email talking about uh, the aging population. Our next point is, so can an employer terminate an employee because they become older or less productive so first of all to make it very clear you can never under any circumstances let someone go because of their age you can't say well you're 65 i'm letting you go you're it doesn't matter what the age is even if someone is 35 and you say well i'm letting you go because you're 35 that's also illegal age should not form any part of a decision making process when it comes to termination of employment it doesn't matter if it's not the main reason it can't be part of the reason at all so no, you can't terminate someone because of their age. Now, in some situations, if the employee cannot do the job, uh, age, age-wise or otherwise, and they cannot be accommodated, then we may be looking at a situation called the frustration of contract, where the where the employee can't do the job, they cannot be accommodated, so the relationship may end with minimal obligations to the employee. But that is extreme. Okay, that is not something that happens because they, they've went from 100 widgets to 95 widgets. Uh, so it's only in situations where the employee can really just not do the job anymore. But even then, in most cases, you still have to accommodate. You, you should still be able to find a way to make things work, even if it's putting them on a different job. All right. So it's not enough to say you didn't do the job, you're out of here. And certainly age should never, ever form part of a decision to let an employee go. We'll get to an email from Adam. Uh, Lior at employmenthour.com says, I was given notice that my job will end. Then right before my last day, they extended my notice by two months. This happened on two different occasions. Can they keep doing this? You know, this is interesting. This kind of issue is kind of near and dear to my heart because I once argued a, a fairly big case at the Court of Appeal uh, with very similar situations. So, so here's how this works, John. When you get notice of termination, uh, and I said notice counts toward your severance. If I give you two months notice of the termination of your employment, that two months counts towards any severance that I owe you. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I, wanna, I want it to count. But what happens is when I give notice, what's important here is that the employee have no doubt in his or her mind when employment is going to come to an end. There can't be any ambiguity. 
well, what happens if I give you notice and, I, and then I extend it and then I extend it again and again? Well, at some point you're going to say, well, I, I don't know now if the latest notice that I got is legitimate. I don't know if it's going to be extended. So I, I, it, this ambiguity is created. All yeah. of a sudden is it's not clear to me. Maybe I'm going to be terminated. Maybe I'm not. So the, the thing is this. When an employer gives notice and keeps renewing it or extending it, well, then the employer may lose the ability to rely on that notice. So the employer may say, I gave you two months notice, then I give you another two months and another two months. So that's six months notice now I've given you. So, hey, that, that's pretty good, right? Well, no. If you keep renewing it and extending it, then none of the notice may count. None of it at all because now you've created this ambiguity. By, keep extend, by, by extending the notice repeatedly, there's uncertainty created in the mind of the employee. They may not know if they're going to actually be let go or not. So the notice is not effective. So it's always a bad idea for an employer to extend that notice uh, and uh, certainly more than once or twice at the absolute maximum. And if you're an employee and your employer keeps extending that notice, you actually may be able to disregard it. Now, you can't just do that automatically. You have to give me a call so we can discuss it. But that's certainly something that the courts have recognized. And if that's ha- something that's happened to you, very, very important that you give me a call. one 821 5900 is the number talking about an aging uh, population, working population. If an employer has no choice, no choice but to terminate uh, an older employee, what type of severance should they expect to have to pay? So assuming the termination is otherwise legal, not motivated by the person's age, maybe we're restructuring and shutting down the department and you know the, one of the employees we're letting go is, is older. Well, here's the thing. Age is one of the factors that uh, one of the big three factors that uh, factor in to how much severance we have to pay someone. The older the person is, the more severance they're owed. So as a practical matter, if you're letting go of an older employee, then you're going to potentially have to pay more severance to them than if they were, uh, say, 20 years younger. And beyond that, if the older employee has health issues, which may make it more difficult for them to find another job uh, or, or limits their ability to work other places, well, then you may even have to pay more severance because it's going to be that much more difficult for the employee to find a position and replace their income. So you can't assume that uh, just because someone is maybe not in a senior position, you don't have to pay them a lot of severance. If they're older, if they have health issues, you have to pay enhanced severance. You have to pay more than you would otherwise. So again, if you're an employer and wanting to let someone go, call me. Let's talk about it. Let's assess how much the person is owed. And certainly, if you're an employee, older or otherwise, that lost your jobs, I, you know, I, I'll never tire of saying this. It's so important that you call, give me a call, let's talk about it, let's figure out how much you're owed, and make sure that you get it. Well, that's kind of where I was leading. So, I mean, if that employee feels that, you know what, I think I'm being let go because I'm old or they, I'm considered old in the workplace, what should they do? Call you, obviously, right? Well, well, you call me because not only do we need to assess severance, but we also want to look at it from a human rights standpoint. If the, the person believes that they're let go because of their age, even if it's like 5% of the reasons, not 100%, that's still illegal. That's a human rights violation, which means you may be owed compensation under our human rights code here in Ontario. So that means that, yeah, that's, that's an, uh, an illegal termination. You may be owed compensation, and that is always best discussed when we, when we talk face-to-face. So if you're concerned about that, uh, and you probably should be concerned about that, you give me a call. 
And if you don't know where to go from there, I'll give you some numbers as we uh, wrap it up for uh, another show. one 821 5900 That'll put you in direct contact with Lior. Discuss. Don't hesitate. Call that number. If you want to email, I've read a few of those during the show today as well. Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. Questions answered. And we can't uh, plug this one out. The severance pay calculator. Find out what your severance should be. It takes about 30 seconds to uh, to run through the uh, the program. And you can either ask for a consultation at that point or just walk away with the knowledge uh, in your own head. That is severancepaycalculator.com. Till next time, spend the employment hour right here. Talk Radio, AM 640 and AM 900 CHML.